Hey guys, before we get started, I have a couple quick things to share. Part of our mission at NextProGig is to create community for professional gig workers. And to start this process, we've created a group page on LinkedIn called the Next Pro Gig Podcast Community. On this page, we'll be sharing additional content relevant to the professional segment of the broader gig economy, and it will also be a great place you can meet, share tribal knowledge, and help each other thrive as independent consultants. So when you have a quick moment, please come join that page. And today's episode features music from the first track off of Sway Wild's debut album called Coming and Going. If you like what you hear, please head to Spotify to hear the entire song and other great tunes from Sway Wild. I'll include links for both the LinkedIn group and Sway Wild in the show notes as well. But for now, on to the episode. Welcome to the Next Pro Gig Podcast, a podcast focused on empowering independent professionals with the tools, frameworks, and best practices to thrive in the professional segment of the broader gig economy. We are champions of the builders and fixers who have honed their craft throughout their career and are ready to share their talents with the market. Going independent comes with a learning curve, and we are here to get you up it as quickly as possible. After all, the future of work is just over the horizon, and the power is shifting to you, the talent. Are you ready for it? Hey guys, it's Roger. Welcome to episode one, season one of the Next Pro Gig podcast. In this episode, we will frame up what it means to be a professional gig worker. And to get there, we need to start at the highest level, talking about the gig economy, the broader gig economy. And we'll dive into some numbers and some predictions of where it's going. But in the end, we'll hone in on that higher level skill set segment, the professional segment of the broader gig economy, as I refer to it. And then I'm going to talk about some pros and cons. Why do people that choose this as a career do it? What are they enjoying? What are they not enjoying? And address some of those low-hanging fruit issues that maybe if you're sitting in a traditional corporate job thinking about becoming an independent consultant can just give you a high-level feeling for what it's all about. Or if you're just starting out, maybe some of these will resonate with you or make you feel like, oh, everybody else is feeling that way. So that's the intention there. And then to wrap it up, I'm going to talk about a framework that will help you maximize your opportunities as a professional gig worker. And this framework is going to really be a blueprint for this first season. It will roll out from the beginning of when you're just starting to think about it all the way through you know, you finished your first engagement and that wrap-up phase back into the business development phase. So there is somewhat of a circular nature of this industry, and we will go over that framework. But in the end, as season one will wrap up, each one of these episodes will stand alone. So if you are a seasoned consultant, you've been doing independent consulting for decades or however long, and maybe you have some questions or some challenges around pricing or how do I grow my business? I've developed this great thing. How do I further monetize it? There'll be episodes on each of these topics that'll be self-contained so you can go and pick and choose where you want to be. But hopefully this will be a great journey. I'm excited about this. I've been thinking about this for way too long. Finally getting off getting off my seat and in and, and making some some podcast episodes. So this is very exciting for me. Hopefully we'll grow together along this journey. 
But let's start out. What is the gig economy? If you Google that term, there's just tons and tons of results. It can be a little confusing. It means one thing to another, but let's start out there. So what is the gig economy? So a gig is a task or a project that is performed by a worker that is independent from the client or the hiring party. And gig workers can be in a contingent or alternative employment arrangement with clients or through intermediaries, which means there's no implicit or explicit contract for long-term employment. And when I say intermediary, I'm referring to a third party that you may route through when engaging in gig work. So this could be a tech platform like Upwork or Uber, or it could be through a traditional staffing, recruiting, consulting firm that is taking care of a lot of the administration associated with your engagement. And while it may seem like the term gig economy is something new and flashy, we often forget that this type of non-employee work arrangement has been around literally forever. It wasn't until 1935 when the National Labor Relations Act was enacted to protect workers' rights that the definition of employee was loosely set and the classification of employee versus non-employee labor became important. Years and multiple Supreme Court cases later, we were still trying to perfectly box up what employment means from a compliance and really taxation perspective, as recently seen in California's AB-5 ruling. And so with societal and technological advancements, there is no doubt that things are very different from a work perspective today than they were back in 1935. And I personally think the markets are now searching for that best mix of employee, non-employee labor to deliver maximum value for both their business and for the workers, the talent. So if you subscribe to the, a concept of a pendulum shift over time, one could conclude that over the past five to ten years, we are seeing a shift back to more independent employment, which is exciting for professional gig workers who want more control over their work life. And this is not a perfectly clean shift, as noted by the ongoing evolution of non-salary benefits that are traditionally tied to employment, but that's a whole nother episode that we'll likely cover down the road. Where this equilibrium of employee-non-employee mix lies is a very complicated guess, but we are currently in the journey of discovery as more companies rely on independent labor to perform project and tasks for their companies. So from a current events perspective with COVID-19, I think we are seeing some macro shifts in work practices like working from home that are fast tracking some trends that may have taken longer to develop under the pre-COVID way of doing business. So companies are rethinking how to leverage and optimize remote work arrangements for current employees, which will inevitably lead to exploring remote work options for project work as it evolves in the future. And this will open up more opportunity to the highly skilled workers that companies need to drive ROI in their businesses. So maybe you're a consultant in Phoenix, Arizona, and the local market for your your services for your skill set isn't as robust. So as more companies become comfortable outsourcing this in, in a remote working environment, you're going to see more opportunity coming maybe in from Seattle or Nashville or Atlanta or wherever. 
So that's what I'm saying, that this is evolving. And some of these macro things that would have played out in a slower manner are getting fast-tracked right now. It's a really interesting time. Again, very grain-squishy, but things to note. From a pure numbers perspective, recent estimates by McKinsey, Upwork, Freelancers Union, MBO Partners, and others put the range of gig economy participants at 45 to 60 million Americans. Diane Mulcahy, she's the author of The Gig Economy, a good book. She's normalized this a bit in many interviews and articles, noting that gig workers comprise approximately 30% of the U.S. workforce. And from a contribution perspective, the aforementioned parties indicated that independent workers contribute over 1 billion hours and north of $1 trillion in revenue to the U.S. economy. And that was in 2019. So incredibly large uh, participant pool and contribution. As we've seen with many of the COVID modeling exercises as of late, predicting the future is very hard. But recent growth estimates of the gig economy predict that we will be over 50% of the workforce in terms of participation in the gig economy within the next 5 to 10 years. And again, those macro trends that are happening may fast track this. It's too early to tell. But again, that's a lot of workers. But not all gig workers choose gig work for the same reasons. In 2016, McKinsey released a really interesting research paper that segmented gig workers into four buckets based on motivation. The first bucket was called reluctance, and those were folks who were ultimately looking for a permanent job, but they were reluctantly participating in the gig economy as a bridge. The second bucket was financially strapped, and those are folks who need to make ends meet, so they're picking up gig work along the way just to put food on the table. The third bucket is called casual earners. And to me, these are folks that have a side hustle. It's not their primary source of income, but they're really enjoying it, whatever that task is. And the last bucket is called free agents. And those are people who are choosing full-time gig work as their primary source of income. So it is this free agent bucket that is the first major qualification when framing up what it means to be a professional gig worker. It's that intersection of primary income and preferred choice that is shared by approximately 30% of all gig workers. So now that we are focused on this pocket of free agents who are choosing gig work as their primary source of income, we need to talk through the demand side of the equation from the hiring party's perspective. What types of roles and tasks are clients bringing to the independent labor market, and how do these clients ultimately choose which gig worker to hire? I mentioned earlier that a gig is a task or a project brought to the market by clients or hiring parties. Current use of the term gig can cover a simple task like delivering food to a very complex task like delivering emergency room nursing services during a pandemic. We can see that there is a very broad spectrum of tasks being cleared in the gig labor market through a variety of mechanisms like a tech labor platform or specialty staffing firms. When a client comes to the gig marketplace, they are looking for the gig worker with the appropriate level of skill set that can immediately solve their task. 
the matching of this gig request from the client with the appropriate skill set of the gig worker is what the gig labor market is all about. And I can't stress how important this simple construct is when analyzing anything to do with the gig economy. So I'll say it again. The matching of the gig worker skill set required to immediately satisfy the tasks requested from the client is the function of the gig labor market. With this understanding, it is easy to see that such a broad spectrum of requested tasks equals an equally broad spectrum of required skill sets. For example, driving someone to the airport requires a different skill set than being an interim CFO that helps merge two companies together. The higher level skill set is the other important distinction when framing up what it means to be a professional gig worker. I wrote an article a while back defining the professional segment of the broader gig economy, and in it I listed a series of attributes I've found in the higher level skill set gig workers who are able to immediately solve the complex tasks brought to the market by clients. This list included being a mid to late career professional, so that was defined as 15 plus years experience, having an undergraduate degree or more, being certified in your field, so an accountant may have a CPA, a nurse, an RN, a lawyer, a JD, earning at least $80,000 a year in annual income, and most importantly was being a practitioner of your trade. If you have these attributes and are interested in working independently, you are what I define as a professional gig worker. And of all the parameters I've used to try and define this segment, the one that matters the most is being an experienced practitioner of your trade, not an advisor of your trade, a practitioner. Practitioners have sat in the seat, been through the battles multiple times, and are able to step in immediately to solve the task at hand. They frequently can see around corners that clients may not know what's coming and how this project may evolve or impact other areas of the organization. And because their learning curve is limited to just learning the nuances of the company and maybe the industry, they have almost an immediate ROI and a higher impact over the course of a project. But even if you don't have a college degree or are credentialed, if you're an expert in a complex craft, you are by all means a professional gig worker. Now that we've framed up what it means to be a professional gig worker, and again, there are two components here. The biggest component is that you have that higher level of skill set that's needed to solve these more complex issues that are coming into the gig labor marketplace by clients and hiring parties. That is the bulk of the framing. The other component was this is your choice as a full-time career, your primary source of income. Those two combined really define what I mean to be a professional gig worker. But now that we've done that, let's dive into some of the pros and cons of the professional gig life that I've picked up through talking with hundreds of consultants and some survey data that I did back in late 2017. In 2016, I got really interested in researching the gig economy. It was a term that I saw and I knew I was playing in this space. 
I was hunting work for more senior-level finance and accounting folks on a project and interim basis, and I honestly thought I'd just go Google this term, read some news articles, maybe a couple white papers, and I'd be able to come back and share best practices with my clients and the consultants I was working with to kind of keep them apprised of what was going on in the market. And I didn't find that information, honestly. I had to do a lot of research and digging, but I would say 90% of the attention was on this lighter level skill set gig worker, the Uber driver, the DoorDash delivery guy, the person that took a, a roll through shift gig to help with a trade show that was coming to town or a restaurant shift that needed covering. It was not a more experienced consultant that I was working with. And so that was really the start of that journey to try and better define the senior level segment, which ultimately I call the professional segment of the broader gig economy. And I was finding that I, there was really no good source of truth or really good at heavy research on this space. So I decided to create my own survey late in 2017, really, I started this process. And I released that to a really great group of folks that were super connected, had done a lot of consulting in the past, and they were connected to other groups where they could spread the survey. So pretty quickly, I had north of 100 responses to this survey. And I was asking all sorts of stuff of how long have you been working in this space? What do you like? What don't you like? Etc. Bill rates. What's your downtime like? So there was just a lot of angles to the survey, pretty broad swath. And I sat down and really started digging into it. And it was pretty easy to tease out the top three pros and cons of why people choose to do this, which I thought I'd share with you guys in case, you know, you needed some some uh, kumbaya moment like, oh, okay, yep, yep, that's what I feel. Or if you're not yet an independent consultant and you're curious about folks that have done this for five, ten years, what are they finding joy in or what are what are they struggling with? So after digesting all of this data, I found the top three reasons people love independent consulting were the flexibility, the variety, and less politics. And with flexibility and variety, they, they came hand in hand. They were pretty close in terms of response rates of why people do this. And flexibility can be, you know, you have more control over your work life. No, I don't want to drive an hour and a half to that client site or I only want to work in this industry, or if the rate's not high enough, I don't want to do it. You have more control over what you want to do. And that variety comes where when you are engaging, maybe you're seeing three different clients over the course of the year. They could be in three different industries, three different ownership structures, a big one, a small one. And so that variety really is enjoyable because it helps you find that you can translate your skill set into these different work environments in a successful manner. And it really boosts your confidence and tests you and challenges you. And so those two are kind of hand in hand. The politics thing is is super interesting because there are politics it being in an independent consulting relationship. You know, some clients don't necessarily treat independent consultants like their full-time employees. Others do. And so you come up with a variety of experience when you go and, and do work as an independent consultant. But that traditional form of politics of, you know, how do I get up the ladder quicker I got. I want to get a promotion or I want that cool new job. And there's that just underlying, you know, I got to be in the office. I got to maybe, you know, do this special project for this person I don't love working with because I have to do it to make it to that next level. So that kind of traditional corporate politics gets pushed out the window and you get to just hone in on your craft and focus on delivering results instead of focusing on the traditional corporate office politics. 
So recapping, the top three reasons folks do this are flexibility, variety, and less politics. When you flip it over to the other side and ask, what are the biggest challenges you face as an independent consultant? The top three were business development, benefits, and lack of career progression. And that top challenge of business development or limiting bench time was by far, I'm talking statistically significant, the number one challenge that more senior level folks face, which was very eye-opening because when you think of business development for the lighter level skill set gig workers, they can just fire up their smartphone, open their app, accept a ride, and be on their way. That is business development for them. When you talk about a more senior level consultant, maybe in their uh, a chief financial officer or a really heavy marketing person, it is not easy as flipping up your phone and accepting a job. And so that was the impetus of this this podcast and what this is all about. Those other two benefits is is definitely a challenge because you know right now in the U.S. it's there's it's just a really soupy space with the Affordable Care Act and. You know, where how do you get health care? And there's there's all sorts of stuff. And we'll we'll touch on this in a later episode. In the other part, the interesting last one, the lack of career progression. Because you are in a marketplace where clients are looking for a particular skill set, you do get really locked into that. And yes, you can learn new tools along the way. But if you're thinking of career progression of I want to start as a staff and become a senior and then a manager and then a director, that kind of progression is is not readily available in the gig economy. You may convert to a permanent employee and get back on that track, but it is a challenge. And that was reflected in the survey data. So hopefully these top reasons people choose independent consulting and the flip side of that, the challenges, the biggest challenges they face, hopefully that resonates with you. And really, the reason I'm doing this podcast is because of that biggest fear, that biggest challenge of business development. It can be such a big concern to people that are thinking about doing independent consulting that know they would thrive, they would love it, but it keeps them out of the game. And so that was why I spent a lot of time since releasing the survey. I've started writing LinkedIn articles. I've had I've given a lot of talks in the gig economy. I've advised and started to develop some strategies of how would I advise folks that are maybe either have been doing this a long time and are struggling at a certain pocket of business development or starting from scratch, how would I design a process that they'd help them streamline and really focus their energy so they're not inefficient in finding that next gig. And so that's what this podcast is all about. And the framework that I'm referencing is how this podcast will unfold. It really starts with self-awareness and understanding that clients are hiring the present value of your skill set. And you need to understand what is it you want to do? What is it you want to get out of independent consulting, of being a professional gig worker? That is step number one. Step number two is really developing a sound business development strategy so that you can go execute. And there's a lot of legwork here of interviewing networking partners and really thinking through who is my buyer and what are those trusted channels. And then once you get into the working with a client, so you've gotten to the client phase where you're interviewing, really understanding the economics of how it all goes down and what your rate is, and then how do I get onboarded and get up to speed quickly so I can start adding value. That's the next part of the roadmap. And then during the engagement, I'm going to share some best practices 
that'll help you be efficient to help you really develop even more trust within this client base. And at the end of the engagement, there's that flip back to the to business development to finding that next gig and limiting bench time. And so what can we be doing at the end of engagements to circle back? So that's what this next episode, episode two, is going to go over is really a bit And this. Again, I mentioned earlier that I'm a big proponent of personal fulfillment. Uh, and I think of it in different buckets in your life. You have a personal bucket, you have a work bucket, you may have a spiritual bucket, but I'm really focusing on that work bucket. You need to be really self-aware and do some thinking internally and reflection to know really what you want to get out of the gig economy before you jump in. Because if you just jump right in, it gets it can get confusing. There are a lot of people that are out there that may try and pull you in one or the other direction. So we're going to start with the next episode of really diving in and thinking through what do you want to get out of it? What's possible? Who are you as a consultant? And how do we really package that up so we can start developing a strategy to land our first gig or our next gig if you're a, a consultant? So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm totally open to answering any questions or comments that you guys have. I have an email, roger at nextprogig.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. One thing I also mentioned in the beginning of this podcast is that we are hoping to have a more community feel to this. And the easiest way for me to do this right now was I set up a LinkedIn group, and it is the Next Pro Gig Podcast LinkedIn group. Please come join it, introduce yourself, share a story, questions, whatever. My hope is that I can create more community of this professional gig worker segment. So as you guys are going to market, finding cool articles that are relevant to this space, uh, looking for maybe you're a HR person and you have a marketing project, you can connect there and, and find that community. Because when we come together and share this stuff, it is you know the magic word of synergy. We're all going to lift each other up even higher. And so I really welcome you to join that. Invite your friends, share this. But again, I'm very grateful for your time and we will talk to you in our next episode. Have a great day.